Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your narrative through this season back in the Premier League. My name's Sammy James, thank you for listening. And well, on Saturday, we were unstuck by the returning hero, Roy Hodgson, who masterminded an absolute job on us and our Premier League life restarts with a 2-0 defeat. It might not be in the dream start we were all hoping for, but I do have the dream lineup here tonight. Farrell Monk. How do you, partners? Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Ben Jarman. Hello, all. Are we all good? Yeah. Yeah, yeah grand. Bit Buzzy. of a disappointment, but, you know, optimism's still high for me. I'm assuming that's the same across the board. Yeah. Nothing to be cheerful about. Yeah, yeah, a lot of positives there. Now, it's been an awfully long time it since has. we've done some three-word reviews. Jack Collins, Senior Secretary Jack Collins these days around these parts. Back Another on the promotion for Jack. Now, that was the end and of that last happened season. at the end of last season. Ooh, with my five-year oh. contract. Did you not advertise that internally? I didn't. No, no maybe I'm... I, do I need to scratch up on my HR? Yeah, yes. absolutely. So, yeah. Right, Sorry. if we can get this out of the way. <laughs> this is why I'm in charge of the three-word <laughs> Let's go. Um, there were plenty of them, thank you. John Schaefer, patience, 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 which I thought was nice. Adbron Smith came through with six of them, and he got 20 likes on, on Twitter, so I'm going to read them all, because I don't know which one got the likes. The first game, things get better, Seri is magic, we looked good, Premiership is back, Charlotte subbed early. Jack and Loz said lots to learn, Glenn Spears, when we gel, Miles Hutton with I miss Ream, and Gordon at FFC Riverside, surely a penalty. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll come to that in a little bit. Well, it was disappointing, but I thought that it was an opening period and actually I thought there was more positives than negatives out the game, bizarrely. It isn't quite how we dreamt it and I did genuinely think a bit of opening day luck, beginner's luck, would get us through and we'd get a result. But maybe ultimately when you look at the organisation of Roy Hodgson team, actually the result Probably you could have seen it coming uh, in hindsight. Ben, though, um, lots of performances that, that stood out well and some of the new signings getting a good run out. And actually, I thought that there was uh, lots to take from some of those newbies. Yeah, considering there's seven debutants there and for the most part, four or five of them hadn't actually trained with each other beforehand. Um, looking specifically at the back line here, I thought it was a really positive showing from Fulham. Um, I thought Seri was head and shoulders the best player on the pitch uh, for both sides until Wilfred Zaha sparked into life. Um, I really did think uh, all of our new signings um, showed what they can be capable of. And I think that uh, someone like uh, Vieto will probably give us a bit more of what he's capable of over the next few weeks. Good chances, though, early on from Fulham Farrell. Christie... You know, tested Hennessy early on, as did Mitrovic. Hennessy was actually quite inspired uh, in the Palace goal. I didn't really notice it on Saturday. I was only maybe watching it back on the highlights where I realised he did have a blooming good game for Palace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm pretty sure Palace signed a new keeper in the summer, didn't they? And Vicente Guaita. That's the one I was thinking of. And there were calls that he was going to come in instead of uh, Hennessy. And uh, Hennessy showed his faith. And Roy Hodgson was speaking on match today afterwards that he... He praised Hennessy for his performance and in typical Roy Roy fashion afterwards was going, yes, you know, I've put my faith in Wayne Hennessy. There's no reason why I would want to change things. But, you know, this it's a squad game here and making all the right calls, you know, as Roy would. But, um, yeah, the, the first two were, were good, decent enough saves. Um, and he was very insured in goal. And, you know, those weren't the only two of the game. It was interesting to see how far forward Christie was getting um, from fullback. I was quite surprised by how confident he was throughout the game. I think once the first goal went in, though, his confidence started to s- slack a little bit and he wasn't as positive as he was in the first hour of the game. But I think it was a largely positive performance. We did create a number of chances against an incredibly well-drilled Crystal Palace team. I don't think they had a single debutante in the entire in the entire uh, eleven. No, and, and that means that you know Roy has got these players playing as he wants them, and they you know both teams played well. I was saying after the game that um, it's quite a weird feeling that two sets of fans uh, leaving the game where one team lost and one team won, both feeling happy afterwards in a kind of a weird way. Jack, it did show the ruthlessness, though, of this level, how Fulham were on top for that opening 40 minutes. I I mean, we looked every inch a Premier League team, the way we were controlling it in midfield, passing it around, you know, and players that had come up from the Championship just didn't look phased by playing at this level at all and then didn't quite get the breakthrough 
One chance, one goal, and Schlupp just spanked it into the roof of the net. Really good finish. I think that's what you know got to be said for that. When you get the ball into the roof of the net in the near side angle, and it reminded me a tad, not quite as good to the level of Matty Phillips's goal the other week coming across on the volley, which was a, a really good strike as well. And said at the time you wouldn't see a better goal than that this season. I don't think Schlupp's was quite of that caliber, but the the kind of swerve he gets on that ball is kind of mad and. You know, a lot of people saying keeper shouldn't get beaten his near post, maybe. But I think it's a really, really good hit. And Chambers is a little bit flat-footed when, when Schlupp kind of, you know, turns him. And I think that there's something to be said for the fact that one slip of concentration from the centre-back was all it took to let Palace in. And we were knocking on the door. But, you know, you don't take your chance at this, this level and you get punished. And, and that's the kind of what they say about how ruthless prem, the Premier League can be at times. And... You know, we I think we gave a good account of ourselves, especially in the first half, where we were very direct going forward and we, we looked to sort of break that line as much as we could. In the second period, I thought we dropped off in terms of that intensity and I thought that we didn't play the kind of killer ball in, you know, to either winger or through to Mitrovic quite as much. Seri and Kearney started to get a bit on top of each other. They both wanted to sit deep and try and sort of play the quarterback role, which was kind of not what we needed. We needed more of a link in there the way it was in the first half. And I thought that... You know, if we can keep that kind of intensity up, look, that's what Slav's done with the players with two, three days with some of them uh, and not match much more with, with others. So if we can get that squad to, to gel and start to play with that kind of intensity and, and, and in towards the kind of end of games, there can be, you know, lots to look forward to. Ben, uh, let's have your review on a few of the other debutants. Uh, Le Marchand uh, was an interesting one. You also had Joe Bryan come into the squad, you know, brand new, uh, literally had just signed two days before. It's quite... A transformation for him in, in just the space of a week he goes from playing against Sheffield Wednesday in the Championship to Crystal Palace. Uh, in the Premier League, you also had uh, Fabry in goal, Callum Chambers. You know, Let's go for a few of those new players and, and see what your kind of review of those was. All right. So uh, with Le Marchand, I was really impressed with him. I thought, um, judging by his pre-season, he might be a little bit shaky um, come the first game of the season. But I thought that he controlled the ball very well. Um, his distribution was very good and his reading of the game was also quite good. Um, I feel like he was in sort of around about the same mould as Tim Ream, um, potentially with a little less athleticism um, and maybe his distribution not quite as good. But I did like the way that he commanded himself well in that he told McDonald to go away and he he could pick a pass himself. Chambers, I also thought, looked really solid. Um, a bit faster than I remember him being, actually, and covered the ground well. Um, for a player of his age, I thought he showed um, a lot of maturity at the back there and really got hold of the back line um, and took it as if it, he was the captain of that section of the pitch, um, for want of a better phrase or or whatever. Um, I thought Joe Bryan um, came in on de- transfer deadline day and didn't really have too much fanfare about him, mainly because he only cost £6 million and we sort of we got caught up in the fact that we had just mugged Villa off for him. But I thought he had a really assured performance. He looked really comfortable going forwards and backwards. Um, there was a couple of times where he looked for the long diagonal ball, which is something you don't often see in a Fulham squad. But I think that we could possibly um, get that into our play, especially when we use Schurler on the right wing. Schurler himself, I thought, looked really good for the opening 45 minutes. There was a couple of big sprints that he'd done. And then after that, he seemed to take it out of him a little bit. And I think he's still got to adjust to physicality of the Premier League after probably an 18-month period where he hasn't had too much of an impact on any side. Um, I do still think that he was taken off far too early by Slav. Um, He was just getting into the game and getting into the feel of it and really starting to help us create um, a synergy down down the flanks. And at that point, he was taken off. And then we'll we'll stick to the Fabry debate uh, a little later. And you've kind of already discussed... Uh, Jean-Michel Serri. So we've kind yeah. of been through most of those that started uh, in the starting lineup. Can I just talk quickly about Cyrus Christie, please? Um, just because, you know, he came in for his home debut. Mm. Let's, let's, mm. let's be you know, clear here. That, that's Cyrus Christie's first ever start at Craven Cottage, which is kind of mad considering mm. he's been with the squad six months, but only every second start in a league in a film shirt. So, you know, you look at this with, with that kind of thing in in perspective and and that's like having a debutante as well Mm. Christie wasn't brilliant he was you know like you said he was good going forward in the first half and kind of tailed off after we conceded the goal and wasn't as aggressive and his final ball wasn't always great but he did create two of the biggest opportunities the head of assess came from a really good bit of footwork on the on the side where he put in a teasing cross and he also looked to offer that option quite a lot and I thought that you know given Ryan Fredericks's torrid time at the weekend 
for West Ham, if anyone saw him, where he didn't get a chance yeah. at all to go forward and, mm. and didn't show a case really any of his ability. Lost the ball every time he seemed to go forward against a Premier League fullback. I thought Christie did well. And I, I think that we've got someone there that can start. It came to me because we were looking at some of the 11s that have been put in. We have a new feature on the website, if you, if you haven't checked it out yet, where you can build your 11 for the Spurs game. If you screenshot that and send it to us on one of our social media platforms, then you know we'll see how they go and we'll, we'll take a look at them. But a lot of them I've been seeing Fosu Mensah being put in at right back. And I don't think Christie did anything to justify being dropped from this squad after a game. No, in, indeed. And um, Farrell, second half... Fulham just struggled to really break down Palace. It was a, a bad position to find yourselves in. They always say, don't try and not concede a goal just before half-time like that. And against a Roy side that is well-drilled and organised, Fulham just really struggled to, to fashion any chances. And he'd done an old job on us and switched the ends, didn't he? Yes, yes. We thoroughly got uh, got done there. And I feel like... He the, knew what he's doing. He definitely did. I mean, I, we would... You know, if it, <clears throat> if the situation was reversed, we would do this exactly the same thing, wouldn't yeah. we? Um, yeah, I feel like in total, we got thoroughly hodgsoned at the weekend, uh, to coin a phrase. Like, it never was a phrase before this weekend, but it is now. <laughs> very much now a phrase. Yeah. Um, of all the teams in the Premier League, that, that's one of them you really don't want to go one nil down to. However, saying that, especially since we could have gone two nil down, considering the uh, forgetting the offside goal as well, which I know you said that Schlupp had a bit of a uh, swerve on that one. That had some serious swaz on it. The Patrick Van Aanholt. <laughs> I couldn't believe how hard he hit that <laughs> I strike. I don't, I don't know if you've seen it back again, but it's unbelievable strike from that angle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it could have been even been 2 0 down. Um, but yeah, we could have got back into it. We were very positive even after that. You, you expect that from a Slav team. I, I, I suspect that even if Fulham were 6 7 0 up, we'd still be so positive going forward. And that's what happened. And, um, you know, we created one or two opportunities from there. Um, you know, it led to the Sherler chance, which I've got to say, like, and I think Ben is quite right here. I think that Sherler was taken off too early. He was growing into the game. He had that penalty shout, which I'm sure we'll talk in a minute about. And he was getting those pockets here and there, very much more so than Sessegnon. I did feel like Sessegnon had an average game by his standards. But at the time, I was speaking to my brother sitting next to me about Sessegnon. And we've seen it time and time again, where he has an incredibly quiet game and still comes away with the two goals. So maybe that was Slav's thinking that, um, you know, if I was going to take one or two of the, one of the wingers off, then maybe I'll leave Sessegnon on because of the potential to get grab a goal, which he did to, almost did towards the end if it wasn't yeah. for a good save from, from Hennessy. I, I think the thing with Sessegnon and, and everything we get asked to do as Fulhamish, you know, from opposition fan blogs or uh, in the media, Sessegnon is always one of the questions and of course he's going to go on and have a great career but I fully expected him to take a little bit of time to adjust to this level he still is only 18 he's still got a lot of learning to do and you know there were parts of last season where he would go quiet especially when being marked up that's a new challenge for him and it's all come you know so soon so quickly for him so I'm expecting it to take him a little bit of time I wouldn't be surprised if he got a goal in one of the first five games and everyone starts raving about him again just because he's got himself on the score sheet rather than looking actually at his performances. Uh, you mentioned the Sherla penalty. Let's come on to it now. For me, I could see it from the Hammersmith end. I remember thinking, what? But when you are that far away, it is hard to make a, a proper judgment. And Mike Dean had a really, really clear view of it. Um, my mate who was in the Palace end was like, it's an absolute stonewall penalty. Everyone watching on TV I uh, could see that it was a clear spot kick as well. It seems a bit mad that Mike Dean couldn't see it. It was the way that he immediately waved it away as if there was, you know, something to suggest that it wasn't a penalty. The ball goes the other way. There's clear contact. And, you know, it's not like, you know, suddenly if you think that the ball has been taken, then surely it changes direction, right? It doesn't just take the spin off Sherla's foot and off it goes. But... You know, it's a weird one. I'd like to hear him explain himself because it's the way that he's looked at it. If he hadn't seen it, then, you know, upsetting but fair enough because, you know, that happens in the Premier League. But for him to watch it, see what happened and wave that away is, is kind of unthinkable to me. I thought Sacco had a really good game. At he Pop. did, yeah. He did have a really good game. But, I mean, what is he doing diving in from there is is, is an absolute joke. And I... Did he see Sherlock coming? He kind of came from behind him and quite often you get spot kicks that way where you just the defender doesn't quite see the attacker, nips in front of him and then just clips his, clips his ankles. I just thought it was stone wall and I just, I, it's, it's frustrating because you hear 
heard so often in the Hammersmith end, oh, the officiating at this level is terrible when we're in the championship. And when we come to the Premier League, it ain't much better. Well, no, it wasn't great with Mike Dean in charge either. And I don't think we've ever won a game that Mike Dean's actually been in charge of. Really? At Fulham. No, according to the guy next to me, every time we've had Mike Dean, we've never won a game in okay. his recent memory. Um, which is his explanation for Mike Dean denying us a penalty. So have, have that as what you will. Uh, but yeah, Sherlock came in on the on the blind side of Sacco after some really, really nice movement and just caught him completely unawares. The only reason I can give perhaps the benefit of the doubt to Mike Dean is that, it, like I said, he's, he's come in and it's maybe accidental contact, but even so, as it's in the box, ex-referee Farrell, you should know what the protocol is here. Um, I, it's a penalty. Yeah, yeah. I think he just missed it. I, he must have assumed he got a touch on the ball or he wasn't sure because um, it does happen quite quickly. To be honest, where I was sitting, I couldn't see it. Um, but I could see it and I only sit two rows in front of you. <laughs> I was probably like looking at my phone or something, <laughs> checking out the latest Fulhamish tweets or something. Yeah. Um, on Bumble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, match with Ben. Um, <laughs> <Not> again. <laughs> um, let's come on to Fabry. Now, I thought he was looking decent in the first half. He actually pulled off an incredible save uh, in the first half, tipped it onto the bar. Yeah, I'm not, I can't remember, was it Zaha from the header? No, it's Benteke. Benteke, it was Benteke. Mm. Um, looks nervy, though, during the second half, a really poor decision to come and clear, which ultimately didn't end up in a chance, but stormed out 40 yards, and it kind of went high into the sky, and I think the Fulham defence just about managed to get it away. And then... Quite soon after, followed up by an over-enthusiastic close-down of Zaha when put through by Wan-Bissaka. Now, I don't think that that second goal was entirely his fault, but it wasn't the greatest start for Fabri in, in, in that sense. Clearly, the two big decisions that he got wrong have left his performance in a bad light, and you can see why, because it's well, the second one in particular has cost us two goals. But if you look at the stats, I mean, we're all going to look at this that's because we all love them here at Fulhamish but he got he made seven saves um this weekend which is the most of any Premier League keeper and some of them were, were brilliant the the um tip onto the bar from Benteke was fantastic the save from Zaha up close with his leg was also very good in the high pressure situation that in was game. just after our penalty denial as well exactly wasn't it? and it was a game it was a point where the game really could have turned in their favor and that save kept us in it do you know what the other thing he did really well was catch the ball? Like, with fierce shots, he didn't palm the wire or anything. He caught and held on to it. And yeah, I think that, I does, like that does give a lot to Quick distribution as well. Every time he, he, he would Good claim the ball and, well. and, and just really, really got it out quickly to the defenders. And that was sometimes a criticism of Betts for me. Is yeah. Betts, find the ball now. Oh, you've, you've, you've lost the moment. Can't yeah, you? I, I, I think everyone's talking about Fabry being an inexperienced keeper. This is a guy with over 130 appearances in the Champions League and the Premier League equivalent in Turkey for a team that's just won the championship back-to-back. -back. Which is, in fair, not quite the same calibre of league. Not quite a good calibre of league, but... Champions League is a pretty good calibre, yeah. is it not? Yeah. And the fact that I think that he's clearly got something about him. I I liked his distribution. I didn't like his rash decision making. The fact that he sprinted halfway up the pitch to clear a ball that he wasn't certain of getting. He came out way too quickly for the Zaha goal, in my opinion. He didn't even need to really come off his line. I think we would have perhaps covered it up um, just well enough. It would have taken a good shot from Zaha to beat Fabry had he just stayed on his line. He'd have yeah. had to go far post and really find the corner, which is not beyond Zaha's ability, yeah. but he made it he, he made it very, very easy yeah. uh, for Wilf. Look, there's there's lots to be critical about in that second goal. He shouldn't come out. He, you know, it's, it's too quick, it's too rash, and he's beaten far too easily for the level that we're at. You know, you don't expect the Premier League goalkeeper to be doing that. However... There are, you know, plenty of things in the positive column that aren't being given credence because of one decision. And, you know, that can be that can be learned. You know, sometimes a keeper coming out to clear things is a really good thing. And, you know, a keeper who's not afraid to use his feet, come out of the box, you know, and distribute is a positive and something that Fulham have been lacking. So, you know, there's ups and downs to this. You know, while, you know, yes, he should definitely stay in his line, there is also criticism to be made in this of Ryan Sessegnon. And no one wants to... No one's yeah, called yeah. that. Yeah, and he Mitrovic. Cover himself yeah, in glory and Mitrovic. Mitrovic. Mitrovic, just haul him. Take the card. Yeah. Just, you're Steph a Premier Joe League... In. Steph Joe Yeah, in. but you're a Premier League striker who, you know, has the experience at this level. You know, he's obviously taken Bissaka out, which is fine. And, and you know, but if you've taken him out, don't let him get up again, Mitrovic. Sit mm. on him. Like, just sit on him. 
And then Sessegnon is so slow to the ball, yeah. stops, waits, lets the pass go past, and suddenly we're in all, all signs of trouble. It was weak and inexperienced defending from Sessegnon. So if we're going to criticise Fabri for coming out, which we should do, and he sh- he sh- you know we definitely should be criticising that decision because it was the wrong decision, but we should be equally critici- critical of Ryan Sessegnon for not coming closing the man down in the first place. And then come on, Farrell. The hammy end, I don't know if you could hear it really from the Johnny Haynes, but singing Marcus Bessinelli after that went in. And I know that there's a lot of love for Marcus and, and part of it just might be a little bit of, of support for him because it is, you know, unfortunate for him what has happened to basically be dropped as third choice goalkeeper. But still, it's I just I just don't agree with it. No, no, and I don't agree with it either. Um, these are the players that are out on the pitch at, the, at, at this time and... You know, you've got to get behind them as much as possible. And shouting for another player to, to come on at any one time is just going to be a bit demoralising when it's a pretty much a straight swap. You know, Fabry's going to be sitting there thinking, I know exactly what they're, what they're doing. Admittedly, I couldn't hear it from where I was. But, um, yeah, I think... I, I think, think it might have been quiet enough that Fabry potentially won't have heard what was going on. And I don't know his, you know, standard of English yet, but... but <laughs> it's kind of irrelevant. Look the, look, the facts are this. If, it's absolutely fine if you think that Marcus Bentley should be should be starting. That's fine. Like, there is no issues with having different opinions about the game of football. That's what makes it exciting, right? That's what makes it like, enjoyable. You think, you know, if you think that Bets deserves to start, fair enough. Yeah. But, as in, it, it doesn't make sense to, you know, crit- be that kind of you know, already making judgments about a new player on debut after one mistake, especially mm. after we just said two really, really good saves from, from Benteke and Zaha. Yes, it you know, it was a mistake that probably sat, sewed the game up for Palace and, and really left us done. But, you know, it's his opening fish. He obviously doesn't want to make mistakes. You know, it's mm. one of those things and getting on his back isn't going to help. And and so, like, that's it. It's not about who you prefer or what. It doesn't. That doesn't matter. It's completely irrelevant who you think should be in goal. Mm. It, you know, if the criticism is of anyone, surely then if you don't, if you think that Bettinelli should be starting, then criticize Slav, because he's the one making that mm. decision. Fabri's only crime here is that Slav's picked him. Yeah, yeah. Do we uh, expect but... to see potentially Sergio Rico coming uh, in? I fully expect to see him back mm. in, and I think if I don't know if we've got anything in the in the uh, mailbag here, have we Jack about Sergio Rico. Not that I've seen, but Ben's I'm chomping sure at the bit questions. to talk about yeah, him. I can talk about him now, or I can talk about him in the mailbag. It's a question. The quick question Go about now. Rico, though, is just before you start, because I know you have so much to say about him. Is is it a massive, you know, thing from Slav? If Slav was to drop Fabri after one game, is that a huge? Like, there you go, you're done, you're finished. Yeah, it's basically a massive two fingers to him, isn't it? So I imagine that we might see Fabri on Saturday. I mean, personally, I, I'd quite like to see Rico um, in between the sticks again. Um, I've, Rico is someone that I've kept an eye on quite well over the past few years because he came through the academy at Sevilla and had a pretty much out of nowhere rise to fame where he became Sevilla's number one and pretty much an undisputed number one for two seasons. And he came from probably their third third choice keeper to basically leading them out into a Europa League final against Liverpool and putting in a, a wonderful performance then. He's been exemplary for a number of years and Real Madrid were looking at him before Thibaut Courtois. So it gives you a, a mark of the measure of the man. Um, he's just had a couple of really high-profile errors in, in a team where Sevilla were lacking a lot of support defensively, especially in the last year. Since the departure of Monchi, Sevilla have been at six and sixes and sevens and Jack can probably attest to this as well in the fact that they've gone through three coaches in a year. All of them wanting to play different ways, none of them really settling on a squad and really none of them looking at any sort of defensive solidity to protect um, Sergio Rico. So I would I would quite like him in there. I do think he has a lot to offer Fulham. Um, he's he's going to be a confidence player and his confidence is a little bit down at the minute, but give a keeper a couple of clean sheets and he's back in the game. I was going to say, severe sound just like Fulham relegation season. Three coaches, three different tactics, didn't know who's going to play where. No defensive solidity. Would you would you say that Rico is easily the best goalkeeper that we have in our squad? Yes. Better than Fabri, better than Bessinelli. Yes. And there's no for doubt. Me. No doubt for me. I think now he's out of the dodgy half of Seville that Sergio Rico can really <laughs> kick on and become, become a top player. Proof will be in the proof, pudding. Proof will definitely be in the pudding. But in my opinion, having not really seen too much of Fabri, seen a lot of bets, I can say that he's probably he's better than Fabri. Um, better than Betts as well. As much as I'd love Betts to keep it, and I said I said on social media over the summer that I think Betts has finally won the trust of Slav. Clearly not. No, I've been proved wrong. Um, were we just undone then by a classic Roy performance? Is there anything though that Fulham can improve in their 
performance as a whole. Match of the day, we're a little bit critical of some of our uh, passing and just not being able to, you know, get forward enough. Yeah, I think there's plenty to plenty to improve on. You know, just because we're positive about the result doesn't mean that there isn't significant improvements that Fulham need to make going forward. And, you know, that will come, I suppose, naturally as partly as the team gels. But also, you know, the kind of emphasis and kind of drive we have to, to push the ball forwards and get into that final third dwindled so much. And yet I'm sure that some of that is fitness and, and getting back to full speed and all of those things. But we really need to do to do more, second half especially, when we're when we went behind and we, we were looking to chase the game. And we didn't really offer that much second half until in fact until the penalty you know until the penalty appeal and the Sessignon header the only two real chances I can remember Fulham creating in the second half and that's not good enough when you're 1-0 down mm. you know we, you have to be better going forward and you have to look to create those openings yes the team are gelling yes more you know more will come just as a natural kind of thing but we still need to improve on that kind of caliber if we're going to win games at this level one thing that I noticed from the, uh, from the second half performance, especially from Crystal Palace, and I reckon Roy probably sat in the dressing room going, they'll get sluggish, they'll get re- uh, careless with their passing, pounce on it. And there were there was at least two times I can think of where Cesc Sinjol, there was a pass out to him that was absolutely fine, but Cesc didn't come towards it. And one Basaka just nipped it straight off his toes and ran with it. I mean, th- think one of them led to, led to their second goal. But this happened on the other side as well. And it, it happened in all over the pitch. Even, even Seri, who I don't want to criticise too much because he, like he looks like an absolute world beater. Some of his like, quick one-touch passing was a, was a joy to watch. But even his passing was getting a bit sloppy towards the end of the game. Um, so I just think that's just going to come with match practice. Uh, for me, it's just there's clearly a sort of imbalance here, especially in the midfield, as Jack alluded to earlier in the podcast. There's a point where Tom Kearney drops off and Seri drops off and it leaves Mitrovic and the wing is completely isolated. And it means for a team like Crystal Palace, who are as well drilled as they are defensively, that they can just narrow up and cut all the passing lanes through to Mitrovic and it pretty much leaves all of the wingers isolated one-on-one with the fullbacks and it's a very easy job to defend one-on-one, especially with someone like Cess, who, as you say, was getting caught short by passes out to him quite often. And I think that our right winger, um, when he came on, Vieto, doesn't really like to take players on one by one. He likes to have uh, the ball into his feet and he likes to be able to lay it off and, and plus one-twos. And I sent in a uh, a question into the World Football Phone-In this week that you guys can hear being answered by Tim Vickery, who's the BBC correspondent for South America, all of us in here absolutely adore and Legendino. love him. And he thinks that Vieto will be a great signing for us, but only if we play to his strengths and in and, in and around these tight areas where he can exploit his, his amazing technique and his amazing footwork. And I don't think we've really done that um, with him. And I think that it was just because of the imbalance in our midfield means that, you know, if you've got three of them sitting deep, obviously there's a massive space between them and the front three and it needs to be eradicated. There needs to be someone there going between the lines. Do you think in that regard it might be worth playing Vieto as a 10? Well, I think it'd be good to play Vieto as a 10, but I don't think that Slav will have it in him to move away from that 4-3-3 because he's so stubborn. Well, what if I mean, the 4-3-3 became a, you know... What, a force 9 pretty, No, no, not necessarily. But if the 4-3-3 came two sitting midfielders and a 10 in front of them, mm. if you had Seri and McDonald slash Anguisa slash whoever doing that later on, would that, yeah. you know, allow him to play off Mitrovic? Yeah, potentially, but I'm kind of worried about the physicality of Vieto because, as we could all see from this weekend, he's a fairly small and slight guy. He just works well in tight spaces. He's almost like an upgrade times two or three on Piazon, and he's that winger that we need to unlock it when the game gets really tight, and I think that's why Slav introduced him into the game, albeit, I think, a little bit too late um, on the weekend. I do think Vieto will have a good impact for us, but I think there is there's some fundamentals that need to change for Fulham before we even look at that point in terms of our midfield balance, in terms of coming a little bit narrower perhaps, um, and taking more risks. I think one thing that we need, what we've done last season particularly well, was taking risks in area of the pitches where it was dangerous and getting in behind and really stretching opposition defences. And this week I felt like we were playing very safe and very much within ourselves. And Tom Kearney, for me was the main factor behind that. He didn't express himself whatsoever in that role. Well, I like you using the BBC and the World Football phone in to get exclusive content for Fulhamish. That is um, dedication to the next use level, Ben. Of, use of resource, that. I've oh. now been granted uh, Vieto reporter for the Football phone in by Tim, so we're oh, friends okay. now. That's good stuff. Nice <laughs> yeah, to see you. on Twitter soon. That'll be a big moment. Oh, man. 
Nice to see you branching out. Okay, well, uh, we've analysed Crystal Palace uh, and we've got a stack full of time left for your questions and they're coming up next. Hello, I'm Breda Hangelen and you are listening to the Fulhamish Podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Jack Collins is here. Hello, listeners. Ben Jarman is here. Hello, listeners. Farrell Monk is here. Hello, friends. Oh, that was deep and baritone. Oh, nice. Um, getting late in the day, isn't it? Bit Barry. <laughs> it's probably early in the morning. Leave people all are the to snakes alone. <laughs> there you are. Here we are. A <laughs> um, little bit of uh, housekeeping to do. Uh, just firstly to say that if you haven't checked out the new Fulhamish YouTube channel, then get subscribed. It's our big thing this season uh, that we're trying to do more and more. There was a preview that I did with Jim Daly that you'd all also have heard on the podcast that we put up on there. Uh, Jack, Ben and Dom did a full time, which is our new feature that we're going to do after home games. They went to the old Suffolk Punch and straight away just kind of gave their instant reaction uh, to the defeat against Palace. It's about 10 to 15 minutes long and just gives you something a little bit more instant after the games. Uh, it went up on Sunday morning and we're going to be doing that after each home game uh, this season, we're going to have an on-the-road uh, away at Spurs on Saturday. And also, uh, in the next few days, we're going to get some fan cam reactions from our, from our man, Jack Kelly. Uh, it's a little bit of a work in progress, the, the fan cams, but, but Jack's really enthusiastic and he's absolutely brilliant at it. Uh, so, you know, do give that a watch. And also, if you see him outside the ground... Uh, please do give your thoughts. We're not trying to be Arsenal fan TV here. We're just kind of trying to give you a platform uh, for some sensible, honest, passionate debate. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, give Jack a holler if you see him uh, outside the ground and uh, he can give you a little bit of an interview. Also, uh, the fantasy football has 1,100 people in it. Holler, let's shout out the top 10. Yeah, I can give. I can do that right now. Can you do the top forty-five? Because I might get a name. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, so you had <laughs> do to have ninety-five because I'm in there. You had to have ninety-five points to get into the top ten. So congrats to Wayne Bradley, Jake Conroy, James Wood, Nathan War, Rob Allard, Patrick McConnell, Edward Roby, Jacob Andrews, who I believe of this parish. Of this parish, he very much is. Uh, Cameron Duval, and at the top. Andrew Spensley with 103 points. Now there was well, that's some huge, fantastic. And he didn't use didn't use his bench. Boost. Yeah, there were some vicious rumours that Andrew used his bench boost, and people were going, "Oh, it's not valid. He's top of the league and he used his bench boost." But Andrew, also, it's completely valid yeah. to use your bench boost in round one if you want. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a bit rogue. No, it's not. Well, I mean, no, it's a bit not? rogue, but it's not like maybe there's it's nothing to, wrong with it. Maybe it's to destroy our spirit so everyone gives up. Look, Andrew didn't use it, so he legitimately has got 103 points. So congrats to you, Andrew. We'll try and do a bit of an FPL update each week. And don't forget to give your player ratings as well on the website. Um, so much so much to do. Exactly. There is just... So much to have fun to have. Uh, Fabry was at 4.6 on, on Sunday, which I thought was uh, pretty harsh. Uh, John McElserry, though, was uh, your man of the match so far. I think with an over-8 score, which is uh, definitely testament to what a performance we saw on mm, Saturday. Wonderful. Anyway, that's all my housekeeping done. Let's get to the post bag, Jack Collins. Jack Collins is eating a flapjack at the moment. <laughs> Currently he is, yeah. Okay, let's start with Josh FFC, who says, do you think a lot of fans underestimated this league and why slash why not? Sam, I'll start with you. Uh, there definitely was a bit of a reality check about Saturday. And we went into that game all kind of thinking... Deep down, I think we all thought we were going to get three points and maybe that was a bit of a, of a naivety from all of us. And, but it, it's hard to suddenly imagine defeats when you'd had so much success continuously. We haven't lost at home since October, since Bristol City came to our gaff just before Halloween. So it's quite hard to start suddenly thinking, oh, we're not going to be winning so many matches. But we also had spent 100 million. So I think for, and I don't think fans had been had unrealistic thoughts of where what we could achieve this season. Yes, it wasn't what we imagined. And maybe we got a little bit of our head of self, ahead of ourselves with all the transfers and just how good we were towards the end of last season. But I don't think we were getting too ahead of ourselves, but it was a small reality check. Farrell? Um, yeah, I, I've got to agree with that, to be honest. Um, I think that people will now start to realise that even the more sort of mid-table Premier League teams are very impressive teams. Yeah. You know, the, 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 you know, there are no easy games in the Championship as they were, but, you know, now it's even 
less easy games in the Premier League uh, that we've got ahead of us. These are players who are established Premier League players. They play for established Premier League teams. You know, all their all the Premier League's training grounds are like top facilities. You know, there are there's no now Rotherhams or or you know no disrespect to them, but you know they won't have the training facilities or the coaches at their disposal. Now we have tw- you know 19 other teams that have all those facilities and coaches and the the resources to compete at every level with every position and have almost unlimited um, resource around the world to pick up players. I think the reality check is that let's say we played Cardiff towards the end of last season. We'd have been going into that game saying it's a really, really difficult one. This is going to be one of our toughest tests of the season. Now, Cardiff is probably the easiest game this season. You know, like that's the difference... And even Wolves, okay, they're a bit of an exception considering how much money they've spent. But Wolves is. I don't think we're in a position to say that anymore. What? How much money they've spent? Well, no, I know, but still, the the, the amount of investment that's been put into that team and the quality of their squad. But still, Wolves is one of the easier games this season. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And that's 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 the level we're at. Yeah, we have to just you know every game's a challenge now, and you know Dom said it on last week's podcast, and there was a point to be made that. Maybe you don't want Palace at home as your first game. You want that in November when you're in a run and you know your team know each other. And what you want is a throwaway game on your first game, like City away, because there's no pressure on that. It doesn't matter if you lose, because even if you played that game at the end of the season, you'd lose it. And I think there is potentially something to be said for the fact that, you know, maybe Palace at at home wasn't a game to have as an opener because it was... You know, it's not going to be a banker. It's not going to be a banker anyway, but, you know, you're less likely to win it with a brand new side than you are with a team that knows each other and is playing, you know, to the best of their ability. From my point of view, it's more of a case of that people have forgotten how good the Premier League is, not underestimated it. Forgotten how the fine margins of this league can win you a game or it can lose you a game. And there were two very fine margins this weekend and it lost us a game, despite us playing particularly good football and a football that had been upgraded from last year and had shown signs of progression and those signings that we had made had upgraded the team. I think that there's also a slight underestimation of the quality of Crystal Palace and the way that they've played um, over the last sort of six months especially. These are a team that were six unbeaten before the end of last season. They won, went, well, they comfortably avoided relegation in the end after a start that was absolutely disastrous. And they're a well-drilled and well-oiled unit. And I think people forget the quality they've got, like Van Arnholt. They forget they've got people like Schlup and Zaha and Wambakasa, um, even Milivojevic in the middle there. They all forget about these people. And Benteke, Benteke had a bad season last year, but, yeah. he's, so, he, but he's, still he's far there. from a striker that's past it. He's still Christian Benteke. Yeah, exactly. I, think In fact, I was surprised he didn't cause us more problems. There, there has been an underestimation of this league. And there's been a few tweets and a few comments out there that are saying that Fulham could easily get top 10 and we could either push for Europe. I mean, I think that's a little bit far. If I'm going to be completely honest, we'd probably be looking at around about 13th or 14th for a really good first season in the Premier League. And, you know, people are saying that we can kickstart our season against Burnley. Now, this is a team that last year kept something like 15 clean sheets. Despite the fact they're in European competition, they're there for a reason. They're a good side and nothing is ever going to be taken for granted in this league, even more so than when we were in a championship the first time round. We thought we'd be all right. All right, let's get a couple of quick-fire ones on before we get back to some, some longer-form questions, we say. Sam Lockhart says, what would you be your back four for this season, including players who are injured at the moment? So if you had to pick a back four for the rest of the season right now, who would they be? Sammy, go. Uh, Brian, Mawson, Chambers, Christie. Farrell. Uh, Brian, Mawson... Reem Christie Ben Joe Bryan uh, Alfie Mawson Tim Reem and Cyrus Christie for me yeah yeah I think I'd go Bryan Le Marchand Mawson Christie I thought Le Marchand was excellent I really did yeah. I, I, I thought he had a brilliant game he made a couple of, he was a little bit little bit you know wary first half but second half he made some brilliant challenges and as he grew into I think we've, we could actually have a real player in our hands here he's, he's a he's a Decent footballer. I like, like his intelligence. Yeah, yeah. He, I, I think he'll sit. I was thinking he'll suit this team. I think he could be the kind of as they phase out Tim Ream, they'll phase Le Marchand into replace him. I think they're very similar players, and I think that you know I love Tim Ream, and I would love him to to have a brilliant season. But I think he played at a level last year that potentially might never we might never see again. Yeah. I think he just had a role, and because he was just continuously being brilliant, it, it kind of and the summer I think might have just been like breathe and, mm. and we might not see him return to that we might 
You know, I'm yeah. not. This is conjecture. Is it unpopular opinion? I wasn't that impressed by Le Marchand. I don't know what it was. I just thought he was a bit of a. I just thought he was a bit lumberous. I thought he was a bit slow. I didn't think his decision making was all that. It might have just been. He was. He looked slow, particularly when he was off against Wilfred Zaha. But they would make anyone look slow. I yeah, think. but I just thought in in the Premier League you're going to come up against very very fast people every single. I think week. he's probably oh, quicker than Tim Ream. One yeah. thing that really surprised me was the pace that Palace had all over the pitch. I, I really didn't remember how quick they were. Without all the flanks, and even in the middle, they were rapid. Well, you remember, they have five unbelievably fast players in mm. Wamba Saka, Van Aanholt, Schlupp, Townsend and Zaha. Yeah. So, mm. you know, once you have them in a five formation, you know, two on either wing and one mm. through the middle, then they're going to cause you problems with I, that. Yeah, I think be. this is something that we're going to be a little bit kind of shocked by as with the Premier League. Because we've been used, we're now four, we were four seasons in the Championship of, no disrespect again, of the physicality of the championship. Mm. Now we're at the physicality and the athleticism of the Premier League. Mm. This is creme de la creme here. That They are going to be real athletes. And... I did sit there and think, by God, we look slow. But last time, at a lot of points, we were sat there and thinking, these players are lightning quick. Mm. And this weekend, I know it's against three, five sorry, incredibly fast players, but yeah, I think we got sent to the races on a few times. Okay, there's one from The Brian King, which is a good name, to be fair. <laughs> he says... Do you hope for anyone else to make their debut against Spurs on Saturday? If so, who? Sam? Sergio Rico is the one that we've been talking about. I'd quite like to see what the fuss is about with, with Anguissa, but... I think that'll be early for him, if I'm honest. Yeah, I'm not necessarily expecting him to come through so soon. Not particularly. We, we've seen a bit of Vieto. I was interested to see Vieto. It'd be nicer to, for him to get a bit more of a run out against Spurs. He was kind of brought on at 2-0 down and there wasn't really a huge amount of opportunities for him to really influence the game. Uh, but yeah, if it is Rico on Saturday, he'll definitely be getting a workout against Spurs, uh, no doubt. So yeah, I'm interested to see him. Yeah, Rico. Yeah. Fair enough. There's a couple more. Nathan Vince says, how long will it be before the new signings begin begin to gel and we go on a 23-game unbeaten run to win the title? Three weeks' time. Yeah, <laughs> September. Well, this is, you know what? This, the pleasing thing about this uh, was, you know, we, we talked about before, the, 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 pos, the positive of, of Saturday and, you know, we played well without, unfortunately, without getting a point, that the past two seasons where we had these impressive runs of form, we had to wait until October, November, yep. until they started. You know, we had dribs and drabs of good performances, but they weren't at the level of the, of the unbeaten runs that we had. Okay, on that note, we have a question about that. Perry Freeman says, realistically, can we afford to start slow like we have in previous seasons? Not as much because, the you know, the seasons now are eight games less, which is quite a considerable amount yep. of season time. So it's good that we've started playing fairly well to start off with but obviously we need to pick up a couple more wins it's a disappointment that actually i think our start to the season is fairly kind yeah and actually i think we, we mentioned that it was disappointment facing palace but you've also got burnley you've got watford again no disrespect to these teams but they are going to be the easier games that we will face. They're the games you want at home to be banking on three points if you're going to stay up in this division. Exactly. And potentially we're going to have to wait until after those games before this team gels. And if we do have a bad start, I think we'll have thrown away quite a few games that we should be winning. And then we get into quite a tough period of the season. So we might be gelling just as things start hotting up. And, you know, we'll have to be going up to Old Trafford and to Stamford Bridge and trying yeah. to get trying to get points there even though we are a newly gelled team it's still going to be really difficult hey we're an away team now the past four or five seasons we're only good I'd... away now <laughs> yeah I don't think I've seen so many away, away wins right last last goal oh, sorry go on. I was to say the positive is that we're playing with a cohesion that we didn't have at the start of last season where it was all over the place now we look like we're fully well drilled and we've got some really intelligent players so. Slav knows his best not... system he didn't yeah. know that this time last season exactly oh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not too worried about it just yet ask me again in a month's time in international break and I might give you a different answer Right, this is, this is excellent. I'm going to finish with this because this is a good question and I feel like it's relevant in the studio. Obviously, it's very positive in here from, from us four, but there's been a lot of negativity thrown around on social media and the fan base in general, and, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing. Julian Hare has said, despite the result, it felt like a positive performance. We're not going to win slash dominate every game in the Premier League. So how can we get the fan base thinking positively rather than pointing the finger of blame, you know, at, either an individual or the team, every time that a result doesn't go our way. 
fans are always going to be upset when you lose. Yeah, of course, and I don't think that's I don't think that's unreasonable. They they need to listen to the independent, rational voice of Fulham FC, the Fulhamish podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ful- F- Fulhamish, uh, we're on brand now. Yeah, we're on. We're not Sorry. just the, we're not just a podcast anymore. Um, yeah, but I, I think it's a really good point. Yeah, it's a massive point. Yeah. I don't think it's one that any of us can answer because it's just such a huge topic. You know, I don't think there's any one answer to this. I think a lot of team, uh, a lot of fans will come round to the fact that they understand now that we're in a, a league that is clearly a stepping class above the championship, um, and we need time to adjust. So we need time to let this, the players bed in. I think just the way that the whole game has gone Europe wide, and particularly looking at the microcosm of England, is that the media pressure on every single team to. Pre- like to perform every single week otherwise someone needs to lose their job or someone needs to be booted out or someone needs to be changed I think that's really caught up with a lot of football fans at the moment and they feel this necessary desire for something to be changed Mm. whether that in this instance here looking at Fulham in particular it's do we need to change Fabry do we need to get Betts back in do we need to get Rico on like do we need to change Cyrus Christie for Vossi Mensa it doesn't necessarily we just need time to adapt and I think a lot of people need to understand that before they start trying to wield the axe on people. I think what might take the fan base to realise the difficulty of it is to lose the first three or four and I don't want that to happen but if that does ultimately be the case and then maybe following that we do get a few wins people will kind of appreciate that actually this is really really tricky it's difficult for the fan base when you do go 23 games unbeaten no matter the opposition and in some of those games we played absolutely exceptionally against good teams as well it is just tricky to adjust your expectations a bit like how it was when Fulham were terrible for two seasons and suddenly we started winning all the time we're going oh this is great this is new this is exciting we haven't done this for a while (laughs) yeah now we're potentially going to have to go through the other side of it where we're going oh this is a bit weird Fulham keep losing and players aren't playing so well so I think it's just part of the journey hopefully though Fulham can just come through it the other side and I don't want it to be a thing for too long where we're searching for this first win, searching for the first goal, because all of that just adds pressure every game. Ultimately, Jukanovic, if we lose the first six, is going to be under pressure. And that seems like madness. What's quite interesting is that ordinarily in this situation, and I mean, to his credit, Warnock has been very good at managing those expectations. You know, we're here, we're here for the ride. You know, let, let's try and let's try and get seventeenth. You know, you know, we're going to do our best. We don't. Obviously, he's playing a bit of the the gamesmanship by going. We don't have the resources of Fulham and Wolves or who have or whomever. But Slavisa's gone totally opposite. I mean, I, I'd probably be in the camp of managing expectations slightly. It's hard to manage expectations when you spend a hundred million. Yeah. And, that's, and that, unfortunately, yeah. for Fulham this season, is going to be the line every time Fulham lose. Fulham spent a hundred million in the summer, but still haven't got a point <laughs> yeah. after twelve games. Fulham spent a hundred million in the summer, and it's. Uh, a record. journalism writes itself you know, 13 and, games about a win and, and we're going to get asked that question Abubakar, top scorer Abubakar Kamara with his fourth goal in five games you know I came in today and everyone at work said well that 100 million's gone well and that's just going to be the line that everyone's going to use on us and unfortunately it's going to get frustrating but I still believe the 100 million thing yes we spent a lot of money we've had to spend that money to compete yeah, yeah, of course. Well, as in, look, our squad has only got 26 senior players in it still. Mm. It's not like we have, you know, an unbelievably deep squad. With, with and, and of those players, that includes the likes of Jallo, Cissé, who Slav obviously wants absolutely nothing to do with. Mm. So that's fine, but... Hey, Cissé had a great game according to Garth look, Crooks this weekend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, you know, that's the kind of... You know, that's what we've got to deal with now. And, and you know, the fact is that, you know, we only have had to spend 100 million because we we didn't have a deep enough squad last year in terms of the amount of loans we had and all of those kind of things and the fact that Slav doesn't really like to rotate but now he's going to have to and now we're learning what that means and how much it costs to build a squad of mm. Premier League quality or what we can see well a lot of a lot of other teams in this league have been in the league for quite some time now and they've been able to build up those 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 players who are now worth 16 17 18 million pounds in every position going where, whereas Fulham, we he Slav and and Tony Khan and the powers that be, obviously don't think that. Or maybe they've gone to the scout, you know, they've gone to the scouting department. Where, where do we need? Oh, we need um, a, a new left cent- back, yeah. as left back. And okay, these are the players that we need. That's those are the players that we feel are necessary quality. But we've got to spend twenty million pounds of them, and they've gone. Okay, let's do that. Um, 
you know, whether it's the right way or the wrong way, but it has raised expectations among fans. Whether it is actually a contribute, it is a contributing factor, whether it's actually such a huge contributing factor, or maybe it's just necessarily just human nature. Maybe they just see a loss in front of them and they think that Fulham can and should win every game. And even if under a loss, even with a good performance, all they see is the result at the end of the day. Well, food for thought, Val. And uh, no doubt, plenty of discussion to come this season. Fulhamish is going to return on Thursday with another Fulhamish Extra. Extra. Uh, looking ahead to the Spurs game, we're also going to be chatting to George Singer and Nick McNee, uh, getting a bit of a stats analysis on some of Fulham's new signings, looking ahead to our brand new stats show, which this man, Ben Jarman, uh, is going to be hosting this season. I'm very, very excited to see it. So make sure you check out Fulhamish Extra. It should be out Thursday morning. Uh, you can download it from whatever podcast store you like, whether that Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, or Acast. Uh, it's completely up to you. Jack Collins, what are you thinking for a podcast name today? Take Off Delayed. Okay, nice. Yeah. You're on it. I was just watching the I was just watching a thing about Heathrow. And I was like, that's a good name for <laughs> That's a good title for the podcast. Take off delayed. Okay, well, thank you for listening today. Uh, make sure you check out the Fulhamish YouTube channel and see the thoughts of Jack, Ben and Dom uh, in our brand new feature full time. We really want to get as many subscribers uh, to the YouTube channel as possible. It'd be nice to have a thousand in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we'd so, like that. We'd really, really appreciate it if you can just go give that a subscribe. Turn your notifications on and whatever those vloggers say on YouTube. Um, <laughs> that was such and such disdain. Unless you just turn your notifications on and then you literally get things about Fulhamish and it comes up with the little things being like, Fulhamish has got a new video, which you'll obviously want to watch. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. I've sounded a bit old then, didn't I? Yeah, you did. All right, okay. Acting your age. <laughs> okay, to Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. Ben Jarman, thank you very much. Cheers, Sammy. Aaron Monk, thank you very much. Thanks, Sammy. I've been Sammy James. We'll see you on Fulhamish Extra on Thursday. Take it easy. Later. Toodles. Toodles. Rock your body, mic check, one, two. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hey, it's Maria Hinojosa here. And Julio Ricardo Varela. We are the co-hosts of the Roundtable podcast, In the Thick, where we talk about politics, race, and culture from a people of color perspective. That's right. Every Tuesday and Friday, we bring you the latest political news, covering the stories and issues that matter to communities of color with amazing POC journalists, activists, and academics from all over the country. So you're not going to want to miss our coverage because we have a lot of fun. We do. Which means that on election night, November 3rd, we are going to be hosting a live virtual show to give you the much-needed POC perspective on this crucial night in our country. Follow us on social media at In The Thick Show to make sure you don't miss the updates and this live analysis. Subscribe to In The Thick wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 recommends. <laughs>